Hey folks, this is Ian Foster, and this is If and When, a podcast where I talk to other creators about how and why they do their thing. To start, I'm talking to colleagues, friends, and veterans of the arts community at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. These are not so much traditional interviews as they're a chat over coffee or something a little stronger. So come sit in and have a listen. Hey, hey, welcome back to the If and When podcast. I appreciate you tuning in here on this Thursday morning, afternoon, some future time down the road when robots rule us and they're telling you to listen to this for some reason. I don't know. This is the nature of content on the internet. Do you know that there was uh, a friend of mine who told me about a band who... um, we're all kind of young guys and they were on the road and they're all about the socials as the young people say. And they were just taking pictures of everything and they were going around and they called to each other and be like, Hey, Hey, come over here. Content, 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 content. And they just kept saying the word content as my buddy described it to me. And all I could picture was the seagulls from finding Nemo. That would go mine, 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 but the word content. So, I mean, that was funny to me in the end, even though I guess the idea of it is sad that things are just content now. Anyway, way off track already. So what's going on with me? Well, it's summertime. We have that tour coming up in August. It's getting closer. We're getting more excited. We're getting more prepped, doing lots of rehearsals, sweating it out in the studio uh, to get ready for this one. So we hope to see you there. Tickets on sale, ianfoster.ca. You can check that out. Also, and this is super cool, planning some live recorded episodes of If and When in the fall. Details to be disclosed, but very pumped about that. You'll be able to come to a live taping and then hear it here, which I think will be super cool. So my guest today on the podcast, musician Kayla Mahoney, Kellum has been a friend of mine now for a while. We've known each other for years, but over the last couple of years, we've just been hanging out more, grabbing a beer here and there, talking about how to solve all the world's problems and just figuring out stuff. And he's a super cool guy. He's very insightful and uh, interesting to talk to, which is really the criteria of this podcast. And we get into a whole bunch of stuff. We get into the early years with his band Gearbox, and we get into kind of what he's doing now, which is a lot more music production and and a deeper conversation about all that. So I hope you'll enjoy part one of my conversation with Kayla Mahoney. Hi, Kayla. Hello. How's it going? It's going good. Thanks for doing this. No problem, man. This is just most comfortable I've been all day. <laughs> well, it's warm in here. It's and cold very outside. warm. It's nice out. Nice in here, yeah. Not so nice out. <laughs> so, uh, tell me the basics to start. Where are you from? I'm from uh, St. John's. I was born uh, at the Grace Hospital. Nice, me too. Which is, oh, yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, weird that it's gone now, you know? It is. It's also really weird that that one piece of it remains. I always sort of walk past there or drive past there and wonder why that yeah. is still there and why yeah. that's not used as something that's a great part of the city. Totally. But yeah, I was born there uh, in 1979 and uh, grew up uh, Howley Avenue Extension. 
at my uncle's house before my parents built their house in St. Philip's, and then we moved out there when I was probably three or four. And at that time, that was sort of like living, you know, in the woods. Right. Dirt roads, you know, well. Had to uh, chop and burn wood and all that, which was actually, you know, pretty pretty beautiful way to grow up. There's no question. Yeah. yeah I go down there. I used to go down there now, like, well, when the, when the stage house studio was down there, and drive past all the time, and I could see the roof of the house, but didn't go up very much, because, uh, but I went up this one time, and it was just like, wow, what a different, different spot, it's like the, you know, this the suburbs now, of course, right, but at that time, that uh, 15 minute drive, I mean, once you got past the mall, basically, there was, like, r- really nothing, yeah, Few, some houses and stuff, but there was nothing else, yeah, well, I grew up near Wishing Well Park, and that used to be the dump, oh, yeah. you know, and now it's the taxation data center, which is always sort of a joke. Right. It's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> Seems symbolic. On, on uh, you say Empire Avenue, was it? Or? Yeah, well, it's just off Empire. Just off Empire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember all those places, too, being packed with people playing, you know, softball, basketball. Totally. Street hockey. Yeah. And what happened to that? I don't know. We used to play tons of street hockey. We were on a place called Grenfell Avenue, which is which is just off Empire there, and it it was straight up like the the idyllic childhood. Looking back, you know, it was mm-hmm. like street hockey, yelling when a car was coming, whenever that happened, which was rare because you didn't have to drive up my street unless you were going to my street, kind of thing. Yeah. It was great, but I don't know. I lament it. I, I got to say, I mean, uh, uh, just just because it was great, not because I think that today is really. It's not because of that that I think today is worse than that or whatever, or not as cool or not as nice or whatever, but it was just a... And St. John's was a pretty awesome place to grow up in at that mm-hmm. time, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I yeah. remember, like, in neighborhood shops all over the place, you know? Like, there was the fish shop up there. There was the, I mean, you know, four or five corner stores within a block or two of wherever you were. You know, barber shops. Totally. Um, it seems to have... It seems to not be the case. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely changed, you know. Yeah. Uh, how about music for you? Like, when did that when did that start? Well, um, pretty early. I, I, well, my, you know, my parents were always big music fans, and Dad was friends of uh, great friends with uh, you know Fergus and uh, who I think was here today, and uh, Dermot O'Reilly, Ralph O'Brien. Um, and I started taking uh, guitar lessons when I was probably about seven, I think with Gene Hewson, who lived next door to my uncle on Halley Avenue Extension. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was about that, that was that was that time. And then, I, of course, I got into, you know, my own sort of music that I liked. I mean, I, I was really into sort of hip-hop and metal and stuff when I, when I was young. Me too, me too. Yeah. Like, just like Iron Maiden and Metallica. Loved it, and it, like yeah. even the thrash stuff, like DRI and... Uh, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wrathchild America and all that sort of stuff. I mean, like, we were into Slayer yep. and all that stuff. We went through a whole phase with with all that, myself and my cousins, Josh and Justin. Right. I remember listening to uh, Use Your Illusion 2 and just being like, man, get in the ring, right? Like, you didn't yeah. even know what the hell he was talking about. Like, yell, yelling at, like, Spin Magazine editors. And you're yeah. like, I, as, like, a child, you're like, I don't know what this is, but it feels bad, and therefore it's cool to listen to. Oh, you know? absolutely. I mean, that was... It was weird then, though. Then I sort of got into sports. I got into hockey. A okay. Bit, right? yeah. Probably because my mom didn't want me to play it because she was afraid I'd get hurt. So <laughs> I was a little bit late getting, getting, getting into it because... Uh, um, 
but then I sort of lost interest in that and fell right back into the to the music. I think because I met and now myself and Scott Hammond and Mark English and the Tizzard Twins, Scott and Steve, went to school from the time we were five. You know, but we didn't, and so we all knew each other and stuff, and we were friends because we we lived in the same neighborhood, but didn't really sort of. <clears throat> we all sort of got our interest in music and playing it all sort of around the same time. And we sort of had like a little bit of crossover in terms of what we were listening to. Mm. And we all lived in the neighborhood, except for Hammond, who lived in Kilbride. But he'd always come back to one of our houses after school until he got picked up. Right, right. And then we just started uh, started jamming. And then that sort of, you know, that sort of faded a little bit mm-hmm. until uh, we got asked to do this... Uh, the show for like a talent show or something at, in grade nine. And uh, yeah, then started this band and, you know, that, that lasted for 10 or 11 years. Yeah, Gearbox. The, Gearbox, yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. Well, that was a very interesting experience, man. The whole thing was pretty... At that time, I mean, we were only 15 or 16. And uh, I remember like CHMR started playing this song, this demo, basically, that we went in to do. I think we had $150. And so we could get three hours in the studio. And I remember this, like, you know, it was, didn't seem all that, doesn't seem very doable now. Mm-hmm. But we did it. We mm-hmm. were, had rehearsed it so much that we went in and just did these three songs in three hours. Right. Right. And uh, Have you listened to those recently, out of curiosity? No, no. What do you think you would think of them now? Well, I don't, I mean, I think I'd probably, I mean, that's 1995. So that's almost 25 years ago. Yeah. I would probably think, wow, we were, we were not bad, but you know, uh, there'd be a little, a little bit of cringe. Come on. Everybody, of anybody who do anything in the, in the, when they're 15 years old in their band, there'd be a little, little bit of it, but not as much as I sort of. Not as much as some, I don't think. I mean, I wouldn't be completely... I could listen to it, I think. Yeah. you know. I think there's an interesting thing that happens when there's that much time that's passed that it almost feels disassociative or something. Yeah. Like, you'd probably be able to look at that a lot different than, like, the last record you made. Like, oh, I Because think so. so much time has passed, you're like, this is, this is like a different person, literally. I mean, you've fully well, changed, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is. Like, we were different, different people, yeah. I mean, we were 15... Maybe sixteen years old. Sure. So, but I guess when I when I do when I have heard it, I, I sort of think like, well, that's not, that's pretty good for a bunch of kids. <laughs> sure. So that there's that, which totally. is, which is yeah, yeah, funny, amazing. I, I mean, we still, but we still do music stuff together too, which is the coolest thing. Of course, of yeah. All. yeah, yeah. So, so you had this demo. It got played on Stage Mark. Yeah, and then uh, then of course then there was the Battle of the Bands, of course. Right. The Battle of the Bands right. that were big in high schools at the time. Yeah. And we won we we won a, a couple of them. You know, and anyway, then it was like then band, uh, particularly Drive, were a band that really sort of took to us early on. Right. Sean Panting's band. Sean Panting, Adam Staple, Chris Badstone. Mm-hmm. So they used to get us to, to open for them a lot at the old uh, junctions mm. or the old loft mm-hmm. down in Haymarket Square. And then it sort of just like, you know, sort of went from there. And then we, we used to save every cent we made, <clears throat> which wasn't a huge amount, but we did. And uh, managed to record a whole album, which at the time was, 
was quite a feather in your cap, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. In nineteen, it came out. Like, I think the first one came out in like nineteen ninety seven. Right. Um, at that point, you know, it wasn't. You know, you had you had to you really had to try hard to 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 put out an album. You know yeah. I mean? Do you like remember it, how much that record cost to make in nineteen ninety seven? Not really, but man, a lot more than now, probably. I think you know. I think it was, but 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 we but then we jammed every day, right? So we could actually go in there and just sort of like it was basically just live and just sort of go back in and f- add a little, you know. So it was right. Fast. It wasn't a. It was very you didn't fast. spend a year making this album. Exactly. No. Yeah. Like what happens now, right? Or you know, it can happen. Yeah. Well, you know, or close to it. If if you have to take a couple of months away for something else or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't. Re- I can't really say exactly what what it cost, but. I mean, as much. Yeah, it was a feat sure. to make it at that point it, in time. That's what I mean, especially yeah. for a bunch of teenagers. Yeah. You know, like we had no other sort of, we had, it's not like your parents could give you enough lunch money to go make a, make a CD, you know. Totally. <laughs> like, so we, we <clears throat> everything, no matter if, it, if we made 50 bucks or if we made 500 bucks or whatever, every single cent went back into this little pot. Mm-hmm. That was to make so every time we get enough money to go back in for a few hours, then we do it. That's how we did it. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, what happened from the point that that was released? Well, then we started uh, from there. Jeez, I mean, we kept a. Then it started to get popular. We got radio play. Right. You know, there was a song uh, for now. I remember. I think it was the one from that first one that that. You know, then it was like. In this in this rotation on uh, Oz FM and VOFM, I think it was at the time, and then you know we started getting these uh, these shows with CBC, and we'd have new 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 music, and then of course we get paid for that and put all that away mm-hmm. to to go towards the next one because we had all these other songs already, right? And uh, <clears throat> but yeah, we started. I remember in high school, you know, in grade twelve, and going out to play this. Uh, much music snow job 97 right you know Remember so snow job yeah yeah like and so then so we'd be in cornerbrook when we should have been in school <laughs> but that's uh, that's what happened and then of course it just sort of uh, and then i just got we just got a little bit better and we were starting to make a little bit more money and then it wasn't long after that that you know we started actually touring cuz adam staple had a label at the time Called Alice Productions, and he had a couple of couple of bands on it. And he made he got us to go out and uh, play in like Halifax, Cape Breton, and all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, then we started recording almost right away for another one. Mm-hmm. Right. And was that here, or was that in? That was here, yeah. And we recorded the next one here too, yeah, at uh, Sandy's old Nickel Theater Studio. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nickel Soundworks, yeah. I had a great chat with Sandy about that studio when he was in. That was amazing. And another funny, f- funny story is that I worked there with the co-op in grade 12. You know how you had nice. the co-op yeah, there? Yeah, yeah so yeah. I was there sort of, uh, you know, changing strings, you know, going to pick up stuff at like uh, Murphy's. That oh, was on yeah. Military Road at the time. It sold, like, you'd go down and get like you know, batteries or a rabbit, whatever, you know, <laughs> you could yeah. literally, right. I'd, yeah. I'd run down there and grab that in Rollins cross there. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, that, so that was all, that was all, that's, that's funny. Jeez. It was all, I was so busy at the time too. There's oh, somebody in that studio right. all the time. Right. right. Do you have any specific memories from that studio that you're like, I remember 
you know, a particular day that was just crazy or someone who came in and mm. changed your mind about something? I don't know. I mean, like, there was a lot of people there at the time like that. I remember Bristol's Hope was a band that did an album there one time. It was like Pam Morgan, Kelly Russell, George Morgan, all those guys. Like, that was sort of, you know, that was, was like, wow, this... These people, this is just watching how these people did it at the time, you know, and I'm sure they still do. That was a, that was a, that was a big one. Uh, and I remember who else was recording there at the time? Gene and Christina, Gene, mm-hmm. uh, they did an album there. Um, yeah, there was a whole bunch of, and then it was weird to sort of then after that, then we were like, well, this is well, then we wanted to use that studio because that's where all these other people used. Mm-hmm. Everybody else used that studio. And it was cool to be able to have these, you know, the, these different little rooms that you could go into and sing out in the hallway. It was the first time I even thought about anything like that mm-hmm. with the acoustics in the old building. And it was just a beautiful building too. Right. It's such a cool spot to hang out in. That was, that was a really good time actually. And I also got great at picking up, uh, I knew exactly what son, Sandy wanted on his sub. I, used to, <laughs> I got pretty good at that. And, you know. <laughs> but it was a great experience. And I mean, that was a really good thing because it, there were some connections that, you know, I didn't really think of them as connections at the time, but they became, you know, sort of connections or friends and going down the line. So it was pretty, it was pretty neat when you're 17. Yeah. Well, I mean, you make records now for other people. How much do you think some of the ways you do that were formed at that point by seeing it done? Oh, I think a lot of it. Yeah. I think a lot of it in terms of knowing how to deal with people, like how to you know, there's a little bit of psychology, I think, a little in some ways, and just like how you, you know, how you tell somebody that it's not quite what you are hearing, but it's really good. And usually, that's always the truth too. I don't think that's a that's a that's a line. Mm-hmm. It's usually the truth, and I mean, but just how they how they did that together, it was like just how you sort of let your ego go out. The, their egos were sort of gone out the door, I think. Mm-hmm. Once they sort of got in the studio together. And I think that's sort of, I still think that's the only way to be able to do it, you know, do it well. Totally. Right? Absolutely. And I mean, that was something that I really noticed at the time. And also that they were always in a really good mood. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like this sort of heavy, you know, sort of we got to, you know, we got, if this take doesn't work out, then the world's going to end or it's all over. I mean, it was just, it was all pretty fun too. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, Which totally. is fascinating to think about in compared to like a modern stressful situation because, well, I mean, just gear alone, right? Like we live in an age now where all of the actual stressors of the studio can potentially go in some ways. You know what I mean? Like from a perspective of how much tape used to cost versus yeah. infinite takes now. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, yeah. the difficulty in getting a certain sound that now, I mean, this was a part of our conversation as well, when Sandy and I were talking about it, things that he would spend half a day on mm. can now be tested in 20 minutes yeah. through mocking up something. Like yeah. we live in an incredibly creative time. Yeah. So all those stresses, you know, that they're kind of, they've, they've disappeared, you know? Yeah, but in some ways I almost feel like it's not quite as upbeat as it was then. Right. That's what I mean. So I don't, know what, I, don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the reasoning for that is. I have no idea, but I do feel like that. Right. You know, I look at that. I look back on those times, almost as a little bit more of a upbeat time than, than mm. now. You know, I don't know. You know, not not because of certain people or anything. It was just, uh, 
I just, that's my memory, I guess. I don't know if, I don't know. Yeah, but I really, I really do. I look back on that as being a very, very productive and, you know, for, there was a lot more, you know, people were playing all the time. People, it was, uh, there was a lot of stuff on the go, you know, at the time that I, there's not as many venues now. There's not, I mean, it's just different. It just feels different right. these days, you know? I, I don't know. This is a, this is a tangent, but maybe it's related. I, there's a, there's a Chuck Klosterman article where he talks about like how technology is making us miserable. And this is very much paraphrased, but one of the, one of the things he talks about is like, obviously a long time ago, if you were, you know, you were a farmer, you got up with the sun and you worked all day and you probably fell asleep in a chair after dinner at like 7 PM because mm. you'd get up the next day. And the motivation to get up the next day was if you don't, you and your family will starve because you have to right. subsistence living, you know, yeah. and, and flash forward, obviously, you know, oversimplifying, but the number of things, even in the last couple of years that used to take a whole day, a whole season, uh, two hours are now take five minutes. Yeah. We have true. so much more time to existentially worry about things. <laughs> we have more time. That's so maybe, true, maybe there's a studio thing where that like now so that true. we could achieve a studio day, what would have been 12 hours is now three. We've got an extra nine hours to get stressed with each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's because that was like, maybe at that time it was, you spent that time together. Right. With each other doing it. Right. Instead of expecting it's going to, it's going to be done in five minutes, you know, like right. it was just a, so you became sort of like buds throughout your experience. Yeah. You know, as opposed to wanting it to be as fast and as cheap as possible. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's, you know, it felt like that, though, because it wasn't, nobody was mad because they had to spend time around each other. That was the, almost sort of the point in some ways. Right. You know, instead of going, hey, man, my buddy down the road could have done, you know, three minutes and right. takes you five. Right. You know, it's, Journey, not of, the destination. Yeah. 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 I really think there was something to that, you know. I think there is something to that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So you made, which record was this that you made? There at Sandy's place. Uh, the songs for the masses, the second okay. one. Okay. The one that sort of became a little bit popular. Okay. Yeah. And tell me what that meant, a little bit popular at the time. Uh, well, a lot of radio play. Right. And uh, there was like a couple of sort of lo you know local hits from that one. I got a lot. Like, one away was a big one. Mm -hmm. And of course, the war like lads of Russia with Fergus mm -hmm. became sort of a bit of an anthem for us too. And Fergus, I remember, God love him. I mean, he'd be playing with Dermot. Or by himself, or like somewhere else, and we'd be playing a gig somewhere, and he'd come down on his breaks, like, you know, walk down to wherever we were playing and pop up and, and, and perform it with us, and then run back to go back to his gig. <laughs> but it was, it became quite a, you know, it was, it was a bit of a, it was a hit around here, you know, it was, uh, and it was quite cool. I mean, the whole, the whole, you know, the whole connection between like that song and uh, a rock band at the time, I mean, it was pretty, Sort of, you know, I can't say it was before its time, but may have been for around here. Yeah. It, you know. Totally. I don't remember, it, you know, uh, but it was great. But it only came from, you know, being around those people and being really inspired by them. And, of course, then you sort of think, well, this might be cool. Uh, and then, of course, when somebody like Fergus is saying, well, yeah, I'm all over it. Yeah. You know, you there's know, an attitude with with guys like Fergus that are is just so so wonderful. You know, like 
I just, I mean, I had a similar experience with him for a song called Deep Dark Night off of The Evening Light, where mm-hmm. he played banjo. And I felt, you know, I remember calling up Fergus kind of being like, I don't know if he's going to A little do intimidated it, right? or something. <laughs> you know? And Fergus is just so, you know, he comes in, you, you know, you're like, can I get you something to drink, Fergus? He's like, if you, a cup of tea if you got it, you know? Just, and he, you know, came into the studio and played a couple of passes. They were great from the start. Yeah. And then he was like, do you want me to do it again? You want me to? It was just so matter of fact, but still so grateful mm-hmm. from his perspective. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it totally disarmed uh, the feeling that like being intimidated by a guy with his history and legacy, he's just happy to, to work and collaborate and work on projects, you know? Yeah. I was, you know, I mean, I've known Fergus for a really long time and it was like through the connection, you know, like through dad and everything, but still had, you know, like, I guess, it was only after after a little while that I, you know, you you don't always realize what people have actually done mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. you grow up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Totally. And uh, but yeah, just like just the coolest dudes. I mean, Sandy would be one of those, of, of course, obviously as well. And you know, at the time, I mean, I was only seventeen or something, but it just you know, I could have easily gotten in the way too. Yeah. You know. Right. But it was, but it all just worked out. And I mean. You know, there there are a few people that you know. Without them, I don't think that I would have even sort of. I would my life would be very different. And you know, uh, Sandy and, and Fergus and well, and Dermot and Ralph. I mean, are definitely are definitely some of those people. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, without without that period of time, it just it would be different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time of this record, were you were you touring? We started. Then we started. You know. Okay. Then we started because then we were finishing high school. Right. We were out of high school. Right. We're still only up to just finishing high school, man. This is a lot already. You know? Well, I think that came. Yeah. Well, yeah. We were just out of just out, and then we bought a van. We were making we were making enough money to to buy a van. Right. So then we started. You know, it was pretty. It was pretty. You know, it was five of us stayed in a hotel room. You know, slept on the floor of the of the boat, or, you know, you know, if we were if we were flying, it was for something, and then you know, it was uh, even then we if we had two hotel rooms, we'd all stay in the same one and just you know use the other one for partying or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just always spent. We were always spending, but we we started touring then, yeah, and uh, in this van, man, like that we got for, God, I don't know, like maybe. Thirty-five hundred or five thousand dollars or something, right? And uh, I can remember that it like sometimes we the lights used to come on, you know, like check your engine or whatever, and then we just we just take duct tape and put it over it and just drive through the snow, you know. It was that reckless too, but it was so much fun. <laughs> but yeah, There's we a just... psychology to that. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's probably not a great thing to. <laughs> It's not one of those things where you say you should do that, to, to, <laughs> you know. But we did, yeah. We did, and uh, yeah, it was. And then things we started getting festivals, you know, like. Um, it just sort of happened, and we were young, and we didn't, you know, we were sort of, like I said, just out of school and in between university and all that sort of stuff, and just just sort of went with it, right? You know, right. And how long did that run go from that point? There was another record, right? Or- then we did like another one that was sort of. A handful of new songs, but some acoustic versions of the songs from the songs from the masses. Okay, that we recorded at my dad's house. Okay, when he had just bought a new house, 
and he was out of town, and there was nothing quite in it yet. Mm-hmm. And we recorded everything in the empty house, and we did that one on our own. Cool. Scott engineered it. Right. And, and mixed it and everything. Right. And uh, there was a couple, of, a couple of songs that got quite popular from that, too, that mm-hmm. we had you know, done on our own, and we just kept doing the same thing. And uh, but uh, certain things happened at the time. Then when we were actually starting to make a little bit of money, like doing like festivals and making decent money, then the van that we bought before would, no matter what, it was like wow, we eat in restaurants and stuff this time. Then the transmission would go right, <laughs> so and you're like, I should have looked at that light. Sooner. Yeah, yeah, I should have put, put the duct tape, tape over over that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But I mean, it was quite a it was quite a ride for. A bunch of young kids, basically. Right. You know, it was... And I mean, one I mean, just the radio play alone was just incredible at the time. I mean, I don't know... Yeah, if you had a, had a new song and they sort of liked it, there was somebody that could just play it six or seven times a day. And then, of course, in a, in a, in a province like here, you know, if there's people hearing your songs, a bunch of... And then, plus the other ones, if they're hearing your songs all the time, it doesn't take very very long for to develop fans. Sure. Sure. You know, absolutely. And were you doing all this at yourself, yourself at this point, or was there management involved at this stage? No, not really. We had some people helping us, right? But nothing official. We had people who would, you know, look out and books book things for us and stuff. But no one that we had that we were with. You know what I mean? Right. You know, there but people who would help. There was always people coming down the line. I mean, uh, McC- Sean McCann was was a big one on the last album because he 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 got us some. Uh, some great gigs and some great contacts out of all that. But mm-hmm. so people like that started come, you know, just helping, but we weren't really sort of signed on to any, any management or anything like that at the time. No. Right. No. And so after that acoustic record, what then? Then, um, at that time, what happened after that? Oh, I remember we had, we started recording again by ourselves. We wanted to do, had an itch to do something a little bit more sort of loud again. And uh, we recorded at St. Bonds, the school we all went to, way upstairs in the music and, 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 uh, and voice rooms. Um, we just brought a bunch of stuff in there and they gave us the place over the, for like a week, one summer. And we just did a bunch of, uh, bunch of new demos, but they turned out to be, you know, pretty good. And, Scott was working at Great Big Studio at the time, mm-hmm. so we'd run down there to do the last bit of stuff, and he'd mixed mixed it and everything. But then, you know, then Scott Tizzer decided he was going to, you know, he he was moving away. Him and his him and his uh, his wife. You know, I'm not sure if they were married at the time, but anyway, his partner. And uh, then it was just too long that we just decided we can't, you know, we can't get a new. So we, we did a couple of last gigs, one of them being, uh, the last one I remember was uh, um, out in Mount Pearl opening for Our Lady Peace. And it was, that was our, that was our last gig. That was sort of. Okay. And it was weird. The guys were picking us up and we were driving out to Mount Pearl. It was on the track out there in Mount Pearl. You know, here on the radio, oh, you know, it was Gearbox last gig. And there was one hilarious thing. I think it was in one of the newspapers, there was, a, you know, how they used to have those little side things with uh, entertainment briefs. Or whatever. Yeah, it was like uh, we were looking at it. Uh, it was we were, found it so funny. It was Britney Spears gives birth, and the next one, next little blurb was Gearbox Vault, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just hilarious. <laughs> uh, but that was then. That was that was uh, 
that's how all that. And then, you know, just we couldn't really move on without, you know, it had to be the five people, I guess. And, you know, it was, but it was, it was quite fun. I mean, I look back on it. And it's pretty amazing that we all, that we managed to do all the things that we did. Right. You know, from, uh, you know, yeah, we were, you know, it's, we were just, but it was all so fun too. There was no pretension or anything. Like it was just, it was all, we were laughing at each other more than we were playing with each other. It was, it was just, uh, it was light and, and a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And what, how old were you when that ended? Oh, when was that? Like 2005. Uh, geez, only about 27 or 28, 27. Okay. 26, 27. That's a good run for a band, though. So this band essentially lasted about, I mean, a decade, right? Or yeah, and I mean, that was like as that bad. And then we were, we used to jam in the, in the, in the Tizard's parents' uh, basement for years before that, just right. covering, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. What was the, what was the collective, uh, I mean, I know moving away had an effect, but was there a, a collective, like, we're not going to do this anymore. The time has passed. Like certainly you guys still see each other now. There'd mm-hmm. be the opportunity potentially for another show or is it just the time has passed? And No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that it was it, at the time it was, it was a weird time of life because I mean, obviously there was decisions you had to make when you're in your mid twenties, mm-hmm. you know, did you want to like, I don't know, did you want to do that or, or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's been talks of doing gigs over, over 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 the years, and I think everybody would love to do it. The thing is now, and there's a lot of people that have asked us to do them, mm. you know. But the thing is now that it would take a week just to remember. I mean, you know, it's okay when it take a little bit of time passes, but when that 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 much time has passed, like you have to remember the words, remember like I mean, it's. I think it would come back quickly, but it would still take a while. So it's, sure, sure, you know. If, I think it will happen eventually. I'd love for it to happen eventually, but it's, you know, it'll, yeah, I mean, I think it will, but it, it'll probably be, uh, everything would have to align in the right way. Totally. You know, totally. timing wise, more than anything, just because, you know, if you, if you come home, if Scott and Jennifer come home with their, with their kids and, you know, that's a, that's a trip home and then you don't want to spend like, you know, do you want to spend all day long? jamming with gearbox and going over and seeing nan and pop you know like <laughs> it's something to sounds like an interesting day you know it's it's but i mean i think it will i think it will eventually i mean we still talk to each other all the time myself the four of us who are here still hang out every couple of months and myself and hammond work together on albums and stuff so it's not like we have become strangers or anything And that's it for part one of my conversation with kayla mahoney tune in next thursday when you'll hear part two Like and subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play, or Spotify. And we'll see you next week.